listening to another powerful message from C3 Southwest Washington. We are so excited you're here with us, and we believe God has more in store for you. Today we have three speakers who are going to speak for 10 minutes each. And we're, we're, uh, we're very excited about that. Now, you've, you're, I'm, I'm going to say a couple things here. I don't even need to because you're already doing it. There is something powerful about you participating in the message. There's something about your posture that helps not only the speaker, but the rest of the listeners in the room. Recently, I was talking to somebody who goes, uh, who was talking to somebody else who goes to a different church who invited a friend, and, and the friend's takeaway was the church was lively, but when it came time for the preaching of God's word, the church was silent. They said nothing. They, you didn't hear anything, and although the word was great, it was just odd that there was no amen. There was no celebration. There was no, yes, that's so good. And they, they described how disappointed they were that that's what their family member experience was. One of the things I love about our church family is that while there might be a speaker, we all participate in the word of God. It's not some sort of hype show or hype event to really to make the speaker feel good. But when, a, when someone gets behind the pulpit in a church and begins to preach God's word, our participation allows that word to be applied to our life. It's like if I'm a field and so seed is being sown, I'm like putting out my, my seed catcher to be able to grasp what is going into the air to land in the soul of my life. Amen? And so when you say amen or when you say, ooh, that is good, or yes, preach that, you're not just affirming the word that's being spoken, but you are declaring your alignment with the truth that's being preached. It's valuable for the speaker to hear, but it's even more valuable for the person sitting next to you to understand that this is not, we're not consumers here to hear something motivational. We're here as a family to buy into the marching plans that God has for us as a church family. And so what I would always challenge you, whether, because let me tell you, someday maybe you'll be up here and you'll, I've preached to some dead, angry, mean, folded arms congregations, never in this house, but a few other places. And I'm going to tell you what, I mean, you could put on a clown suit and ride a unicycle and they're frozen and dead and not receiving anything. And it is, is difficult. But when uh, the atmosphere is charged with people who buy into the word of God and believe the word of God and embrace it. it. It stirs even the faithful with more faith and unbelievers find themselves experiencing this wind of God because of the participation of other people. Mom and dad, your children need to hear you and see you participate with the word of God. It's going to inform their posture. And as you participate with the word of God, it affects the church body. You know, the Bible talks about atmospheres of faith. They are not created by a good sermon. They are created by somebody declaring the word of God and everybody having an amen within their hearts, an amen expressed in the room so that those who don't have an amen can find their amen. Amen? amen. Come on. It's good. So what I want to challenge you to do is as every one of our speaker comes, you don't have to do this every single week. The normal guy, he'll be here next week, okay? Uh, although it is, I, I would say that if I wasn't, you know, it, it just is, it's our culture. It's who we are. It's our posture. It's what we want to be about. And we have great speakers in this house. It used to be when I used to preach, which was about twice a year when I was a youth pastor, was only when my pastor was on vacation. And if people found out they weren't coming to church because the real man of God wasn't behind the pulpit. Now, that was a culture that was created, and I don't know who created it. I know that wasn't my pastor's heart, but that was how it was. But here in this house, 
Everybody is always excited to hear from me and Pastor Rowena. We already know that, but we're even more excited to hear one of our family members get up and deliver the word of God. Amen? Amen. So at this time, I want to welcome to the pulpit Jalise Waldahl. Give her a big hand. She's coming to share the word of God. She's going to deliver the word. Woo! Yes! It's a great day to have a blessed day. Amen? Amen. I'm very excited to be here today. I love coming to this church. I love our family. I love our gatherings. I'm super excited for the message that Val and Jordan have today as well. Um, and I'm so appreciative of Pastor Steve and Pastor Rowena for the opportunity to be up here um, to share the word of God with you this morning. Um, like Pastor Steve was saying, that's a great part of our church, right, is that there are other leaders who get to step up and share the, what, what God is speaking to them, to you, right? Good. All right. Well, let's dive in. I'm super excited. Um, so how many of you are familiar with the wee little man, Zacchaeus? Yes? I told Chance today, like, man, I think I need some intro music. <laughs> I think we need to play that old Sunday school song. And if you don't know it, find me after, after the gathering, and I'll let you jam out. <laughs> but a little background on Zacchaeus. So he was very small in stature, right? He was a very short little man. Uh, he was also a tax collector. Um, he was a chief tax collector, which meant he worked for the Romans. The Jews said that he was a traitor to his people. Um, he had a reputation of being dishonest. Um, and he, the thing to know about uh, tax collectors back then was they weren't paid a wage, right? They were expected to pay their own wage by cheating their own people out of their own money, right? So that's how they were paid. And the chief tax collector was real wealthy. And so Zacchaeus was a real wealthy man, but he got there by cheating his own people. Um, so I'm just going to talk about the story. This is in Luke uh, chapter 19, 1 through 10. Um, so verse 1, let's start with that. Jesus passed through Jericho. So as he entered Jericho... Um, <sighs> Sorry. As he entered Jericho, um, Zacchaeus was like, he saw the commotion, he saw the crowd, and he was like, I want to know what's going on, right? What is happening? Um, so he was seeking to see who Jesus was. Think of that word throughout this, seeking to see who Jesus was. So uh, in chapter 4, it says that he climbed up in a sycamore tree, um, and he didn't just waltz. He like ran to the sycamore tree, climbed up it as fast as he could to see Jesus, right? Now, something to, to note there is that as a Jewish man back in that time, um, Jewish men didn't run. Uh, they found that it was undignified to run. Um, they would never climb a tree. Why? Because that would mean that the people that were passing by would be exposed. <laughs> um, to the, the, he would be exposing himself to those who passed beneath him, right? So it wasn't a dignified thing to do for a stand-up member of society. Um, but regardless, Zacchaeus did what was necessary to get to Jesus, right? So he didn't care. He put that all that aside. He was like, I don't care. I need to know who this Jesus is. So he climbed the tree. He was sitting there waiting. The crowd's coming. Here comes Jesus. And then Jesus comes. And what happened when Jesus got to the tree? He looked up and he said, Zacchaeus, 
come down from there right now. I'm going to your house. Not, hey, Zacchaeus, like maybe if you could maybe come down, like maybe we could chat and maybe you could invite me over. No, Jesus was like, dude, I'm coming to your house. There's no, no in invitation from you needed. I'm inviting myself. And so the important thing to note there is that Jesus already saw Zacchaeus and he knew Zacchaeus even before um, Zacchaeus climbed the tree. And what, uh, what caught the attention of Jesus um, was Zacchaeus's passion to seek him out, right? It wasn't just he's part of the crowd. He's a short man in a big crowd. No, Zacchaeus sought him out. Um, so that's important that we try, like, as us today, right now, it's important that we have to show Jesus who we are, even if he already knows who we are, right? That's, that's how we become vulnerable before God. That's how we become vulnerable for, before Jesus. And that's how change enters in, right? Because we say, here we are. Here's who I am right here, right now. I need you. Um, and by inviting himself to Zacchaeus's house, Jesus showed his acceptance um, of someone who was regarded as a sinner. Um, and he was treated as an outcast, but Jesus was like, that's who I hang with right now because if I'm always hanging with people who are holy, nothing's happening, right? Nothing changes if nothing changes. Um, but that just goes to show you that making a solid effort before Jesus um, will be, or making a solid effort to experience Jesus will be rewarded. It's not, oh, I'm going to be timid and shy. No, we posture ourselves to be in front of Jesus, our sin and all, right? And that's where God is like, I see you. Jesus is like, I see you. I'm coming to your house. <clears throat> Sorry, you'll have to forgive me. I've had this chest cough that came on suddenly that has nothing to do with speaking today, right? <clears throat> um, so in chapter 8, it says, Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Now, fourfold is an Old Testament law that meant paying somebody back four times if you've deceived them, if you've cheated them. So that was the Old Testament law. And so he said, I will pay back fourfold um, anything that I've, I've taken from somebody. And that was... Um, Zacchaeus proved his actions with his actions that he was ready to hear Jesus, right? Through those actions of not, Jesus wasn't like, look, this is what I need you to do. Zacchaeus was like, I'm in your presence. I'm experiencing it. I give up half my belongings. That's it. I don't need them. Um, his mind and heart were already prepared beforehand, um, which is why he was willing to respond when Jesus called him. And then in Luke 19, 9, it says, Zacchaeus received salvation, right? Receive salvation, not, we'll talk about it later. <laughs> Thank you for making some sacrifices. We'll see about it later. No, he received salvation. Jesus loved him and accepted him unconditionally. Now, that word unconditional is absolute, right? It's not um, based on our actions or our feelings. It's an unconditional, absolute um, acceptance, right, that Jesus gives us. Not, not okay, I'm going to accept you if you do this. No, it's I accept you. 
I accept you. I accept you, just who you are. Unconditional, absolute. And then, uh, Jesus personally included Zacchaeus in his life, even though he was a great sinner, right? And now let's think about that. So when Jesus first entered Jericho, he was with a big crowd. He was with a big crowd of people. And what do you think that crowd thought when Jesus went with Zacchaeus to his house? Like, oh, what? Look at us. We're following you. We want to be a part of you. And you're going to go hang out with a sinner? Sinner dinner. (sighs) He went to a sinner dinner and that's... That's what happened there. Um, But how true is that? Sometimes, sometimes we are the crowd, right? Sometimes we are judging people based on their worldly actions, based on their worldly being. And sometimes we're Zacchaeus where we're like, God, I just need you. I don't know who you are right now, but I know that I need you, right? So sometimes we're the crowd, sometimes we're Zacchaeus. So think about that. Who would you rather be? Would you rather be this crowd that's walking around like, ah, I'm cool with Jesus. Oh, you don't believe? You don't know who he is? No. I want to be Zacchaeus where I'm going to consistently seek Jesus. Consistently seek Jesus. So let's talk about these keys for unlocking that grace that God has for us. Some of the keys that we have is uh, humility and repentance. So that humility for Jesus was displayed when he climbed that tree. Um, It's also acknowledging our limitations. We can't do everything. We are incapable of doing everything on our own. So we need to humble ourselves before God and say, I need you. Humble ourselves before Jesus and say, take me as I am. But guide me, posture me, and, and put me on your path. Um, and then recognize our need for his love and forgiveness. And then James 4, 6, it says, but he gives greater grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So humble yourself. Zacchaeus declared his intention to give half his belongings to the poor and to repay those he wronged fourfold. That showed his willingness to change. That wasn't his, oh, uh, you're here in my house. I'm going to offer this so that maybe I'll be okay. No, that was his, like, willingness to change right there. And then true repentance leads to salvation. Uh, We have to turn from our sin in order to receive righteousness. So you can't continue in those ways. Oh, I'm going to... Keep cheating my people out of their taxes, get money. No, because I you'll not you won't get righteousness that right, right? You can't be Zacchaeus, old Zacchaeus, before he met Jesus. <clears throat> Zacchaeus was moved by Jesus' love to do the things that he promised. Those were the necessary steps, right? To prove that he fully submitted the rest of his life to Jesus. Um, in 1 John 1, 9, it says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The second key that we have to unlocking that grace is seeking. So Zacchaeus sought Jesus going great lengths to find him. He went up a tree, a sycamore tree. So we need to actively seek him. We can't just sit by and be idle and think, oh, he's going to find me. No, you need to seek him out. Find him. 
And how would we do that? Through prayer, through worship, through reading his word, through coming to church and being with our church family and receiving his word. And no one, I'm going to repeat that, no one is beyond God's grace. Everybody, everybody can get God's grace. Um, when you do whatever it takes to reach Jesus, you'll experience love and peace in your life that passes all understanding. It's not something that you're going to, oh, eh, it's all right. It's good. I, that's cool. I got your love. I got, I under, no, you're going to be changed, right? You're going to, you're going to feel that change. You're going to receive that acceptance. You're going to receive that love, that grace, that mercy. And you're going to be like, what, what just happened? I can't sit by and be idle. I can't sit by and say nothing. And then that's where you share the word. And then that's when you speak to your friend and then your friend comes and then your friend experiences that same thing. And then it's a snowball, right? And then more people come into the kingdom of God. Um, in Matthew 7, 7, it says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. Right? <coughs> Jesus said that today salvation has come to this house when he was with Zacchaeus. Um, because this man too is a son of Abraham. He declared him a child of God. Zacchaeus received forgiveness and became a child of God. Jesus came to the world to save us from our sins so that we could stay with him forever. And God's grace is freely given. There's not a, a price that you have to, oh, if you could just, I don't know, maybe go to church five weeks in a row without missing one day, then we can give you some grace. No, it's freely given. Um, in Philippians 2.13, for it is God who is working in you both to will and working, both to will and to work according to his purpose. So I just want to reiterate, sometimes we are the crowd, but we should be like Zacchaeus. We should be like Zacchaeus, constantly seeking him. There are moments in our lives that we can be judgmental, but there are moments in our life when we are the ones who have sinned and we need to repent and we need to be talking to Jesus and we need to be like, here I am, God. Here I am, broken and all. All my burdens, I lay them down. So humility and repentance and seeking, those are the keys to unlocking that grace. Um, and we, when we open our hearts to him, that transformation and that salvation follow. Right? So it's just being open to it and just being there. God, I'm here. God, my scars, like, this is really deep. This scar, like, this, this hurts. Something is hurting inside of me, but God, you can fix it. I just have to give it, give it to you, lay it down, seek him out. Amen? <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> Um, I'm super excited to introduce our next speaker, the one, the only, Val Parrish. Thanks, guys. Great job, Joyce. What the heck? That was awesome. Um, also, Kim, what the heck? That was crazy. 
calling us all out like that. It's it's cool to hear something like that because even if we believe in it, it's easy to not do that because that's what our world's conditioned women to be is strong leaders. So that's a great reminder. Um, thanks for letting me speak, guys. Thank you for letting me be able to be up here and share what God's speaking to me. Um, I chose a spoke about Queen Esther. Um, so to talk a little bit, to summarize, I guess, her story, uh, the story of Esther, Queen uh, Vashti, I think that's how you pronounce it, she was banished from the presence of the king because she wouldn't parade her body in front of a group of people. She said no. He was like, hey, get out of here. You're no longer queen. You're no longer my wife. You're just banished from my presence. Um, then the king agreed and was like, oh, yeah, this is a great idea. Let's gather all the virgins together so that I can sleep with all of them and find one that pleases me the most. Right? <laughs> so then he then pampered them for years, slept with them all, and then found that Esther was the one that pleased him most, made her queen, and then also banished her from his presence unless he called her specifically by name. What a great guy, right? Um, so Esther, it's cr kind of crazy. Like if we look, really look at her story and identify like what happened to her, she was taken as a sex slave. She was taken from her family. She was objectified for her beauty. Her virginity was taken from her. She was forced to leave her life behind. She became queen and was married to a sicko. <laughs> married to a sicko, right? Um, yet she stayed strong, okay? She didn't let her past or her present stop her from fighting for her future, fighting for her family's future, fighting for her empire's future. It wasn't the future she imagined necessarily, but she was there. She found herself in a place of power, a place of influence, a place where she had access to the king, the one who was the one that could have stopped what was going on to her people. Um, so she was able to be in that position to unlock an unbelievable future for not just herself, but her family and for, her em and for the entire empire. So it's kind of like I had Esther, but like a little subtitle of like releasing your past and unlocking your future. So my main verse is Esther 4 verse 14. If you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief, it will for like for the Jews will arise from some other place. But you and your relatives will die. Who knows that perhaps if you were made queen for such a time as this, I love that verse gets me every time. Um, so I have a few points. Uh, they kind of go in order. So um, the first one is to release your past. Okay. Qu Queen Esther, she was married, like I said, to a sicko. Okay. This man was somebody who banished his first wife, wanted his first wife to parade her body in front of people. And then when she said no, made her leave was like, I don't ever want to see you. You're no longer queen. You're no longer my wife. That's the kind of man he was. Then he was the kind of man that thought it was a good idea to take all the virgins, whether they're single or they're like promised to be married, like fiancés, doesn't matter. He's going to take them all. He's going to sleep with all of them, every single one of them from the entire empire. thought that was a great idea of how he found his wife. Then he found a wife and then banished her too. That's the kind of man that she was married to now, okay? So, like, I think we can all agree that it would be completely understandable for Esther to not ever want to face that man. I think that would be understandable, right? Like, that would be totally like, yeah, I, I get it. Don't, you don't have to see him. Um, but she didn't. She chose to release what happened, and she chose to face him. She chose to go into his presence and be okay with, like, okay, I have to look at him. I have to be okay with this. She released 
that past. She released what he did. She released who he was, and she released it. Faced her abuser, knowing that there was something bigger at hand, knowing that God's promises were right there. Releasing, like, unforgiveness is such a poisonous root that if you don't release it and you hold on to what's happened in your past and you hold on to what, whatever hurt you or whoever hurt you, that it creates such a poisonous root that will so impact so much of your life in your mental health, in your, your emotions, in your relationships, in your job performance. It'll, it'll just rot so much. So releasing what happened in your past offer and offering forgiveness opens up your hand to reach out and grab exactly what God has for you and reach out for God's will, allowing it for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Okay. So Ephesians four verse 20 says, 27 says for anger gives a foothold to the devil. <laughs> the thief's purpose on John 10, 10, the thief's purpose is to steal, kill and destroy. My purpose is to come to give them a rich and satisfying life. Now I don't plan to trigger anybody, but I do intend for the Holy spirit to stir some people up. So, so we'll go with that. So, uh, my second point, um, now the door is now unlocked. You've now released your past, right? The second one is embracing your God-given identity. So the door is open. It's wide open, huge sign for you to walk through, yet something's hold, you're still holding on. I've done this in the, in the past. Um, sometimes it's more comfortable on this side because we, this is where we're familiar with. This is where our life has been. This is what we know, and this is how we know how to function, how we know how to cope, and all that kind of stuff. And it's the labels that the enemy has put on us that, like, who are we without this? Will somebody pay attention to me? Will they check in on me? I know what's over here. I don't know what's over there. And so sometimes we get stuck on this side of the door, even though it's wide open. You're like, oh, it's locked. No, it's, it's open. It's just we have to let go of the labels that the enemy has put on us and accept what God has put on us. Um, Esther experienced significant trauma just with the one, the first one that I mentioned, a sex slave, like just that alone is horrific, yet she never acted like a victim. God has placed more value and meaning on your life than what you are accepting from the enemy, okay? Holding on to the labels of the enemy will keep you from walking through that door into God's promises. And God, all he wants for you is to trust him to walk you through to the other side. Because yeah, the unknown is scary, but being over here on this side of the door is not as good as it was on the other side, because God has a beautiful life on the other side. So all he wants you to do is to trust him as he walks you through that door and to put on those labels, accepting God's given labels on you. Um, Ephesians 3 verse 17 says, then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots, healthy roots, will grow down into God's love and will keep you strong. Next point. <laughs> Uh, lean into your future. So Esther, she fought for God's best, no matter what happened, no matter who she was married to, no matter her current circumstances, the fact that her family wasn't around, or what the possible repercussions, I don't know if I pronounced that word right. I did? Oh, that was the first time. Okay, I was worried about that when I was practicing. Um, I always say that word wrong. Um, repercussions of her actions, because it said that she, she would fear death going into the presence of the king without having been asked, right? So she f stepped forward in courage, facing, facing death, possible death. And it wasn't perfect. It um, talks about um, 
her having a banquet for the king and Haman, the one who was trying to kill all the her people, um, she had she had the first banquet and then was like, mm, come back, come back tomorrow for another banquet. I have it then. So it wasn't perfect, it but she stayed strong no matter what. Um, she used her past circumstance and she used the fact that she was queen. She knew who the guy in charge was. She knew where he would stay. She knew how to access him. She used where she was to make God's will happen. Um, so I just want to encourage you to use what the enemy meant to defeat you as a weapon to bring God's will and plan into motion. Use the power of your testimony to fight for God's promises in your life for the, for those around you because that's what's yeah I I just don't have time to keep going. Um, it's First John four verse four. But you belong to God, my dear children. You have already won a victory over those people because the spirit who lives in you is greater than the spirit who lives in the world. <laughs> I love that verse. So don't okay. I I don't have time. Oh no. Um, so I want to encourage you to kind of circle back onto all those three points is let the love of God heal any unforgiveness, releasing your past. If you don't know how to do that, simply go into your devotional time and saying, God, I give you my mind. I give you my heart. I open up myself, go in and heal. I give you permission to take whatever it is that is in there that doesn't need to be in there out. Because sometimes we can go to counseling. Sometimes we can do all the things, but sometimes we need to just let God go in and take out that stuff. Accept the identity that Christ has on, has given you, leaving any behind that keeps you from walking through the door embracing your God-given identity, okay? God has said great things about you. It's all in the Bible. We are his creations masterfully, is that a word? Masterfully created. Um, so let's not accept what the, the world is saying because sometimes that is an identity that's a crutch. It's an identity that we hold on to because it's a comfort zone. That's an identity that brings us attention or whatever it is. But God has so much more for us. And fight for God's will. Stay strong and focus on God, not letting your circumstance or your past win. But lean into your future. Lean into the future that God has for you. Um, and to go back to the verse, if you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will rise from some other place. But you and your relatives will die. Who knows if perhaps you were made queen for t or king. Okay, for just such a time as this. Because the Jews, Esther's family and Esther, they were all blessed out of her unfortunate circumstances. She, because she did not fall victim to her circumstances. She did not fall victim to what the enemy tried to do. Don't hold on to that. Don't hold on to that. See your past, your present through the story of Esther. Because maybe you were made queen or king for such a time as this. So that's what I got for you guys. Thank you, thank you. Uh, I would like to welcome up our very own Jordan Wisdom. Woo! We're gonna give us a hand. Thank you. Awesome, awesome morning so far. Thank you, Val and Jalice. Powerful words. Um, if you guys didn't, you know when you were like kids and they were picking um, team members for the team, right? I was always the guy I like stand in the back and just Kind of, I never jumped forward to get picked. So thank you, Pastor Steve and Pastor Rowena, for like seeing things in this body, but in me that I maybe didn't want to see, or I'm still learning how to see. Um, but thank you, thank you, 
for the opportunity. So um, who loves a good dinner party, right? In this house, in this house, we do dinner parties, okay? And we have awesome dinner party leaders. Um, we have a dinner party at our house, in our little house, and we just love, like, if you've been in our dinner party, <laughs> you have to like go in the backyard and sit at the long table because we want everyone to sit together. But if it's raining, then you just have to be in the house and take any square inch that's available. But the dinner party is all about like community and being together and sharing life and being real and being authentic. And uh, the story um, that I want to share today out of Acts um, kind of culminates in a dinner party. And no, it is not the dinner party where Jesus turned all the water into wine. I'm sorry, this is not this story. But it is a story um, about um, the power of God unlocking a door. So I'm going to be talking um, briefly about the Roman centurion. So in Acts chapter 10, we're introduced um, to a centurion. So I think in like classical antiquity, like a Roman um, military leaders, like wearing this metal helmet with a mohawk and is like keeping all of his subjects in submission and is this like strong dude just, you know, um, ah, not <laughs> like not loving, not happy, right? Um, but what we read in Acts is about a centurion, about a military leader that was a little bit different, that was oriented differently in his view. So Acts um, 10, starting off in verse 1. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come to him and say, Cornelius! And he stared at him in terror, which I can get. That would, that would be. And he said, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon, who is called Peter. So here's this guy named Cornelius. He wasn't a follower or a Jew. He was a Gentile. Sisera was the seat of the Roman prefecture that like oversaw and administered Judea, right? So like the current day nation of Israel, at, at that point, um, the tribes are the, the, the kind of the political structure. It was like overseen by Rome. So Cornelius was a Gentile, wasn't a Jew, but he was oriented towards God. And he had favor on Jewish people. And he was morally oriented in, in that direction. So um, he prayed to God. He was generous. He gave to the poor. Um, and uh, the message points that his moral and torture was God to others. Um, so this guy was like likely not all kittens and butterflies, right? Because he's still military leader. Um, but he, he knew there was more. 
He knew he wanted more. He saw something that he liked. He saw something that he wanted to be a part of his life. And what he had in front of him at that moment was a locked door, right? Because he was, here's my Sunday morning calisthenics. So (laughs) kind of going back a couple sermon series, he was in that liker category. He wasn't a follower. He wasn't definitely not a disciple, but he was a liker. He liked what he saw and he wanted more of it, but he had a locked door in front of him. So 24 hours later, the story goes on, and now Peter gets a vision. So vision to Cornelius, go find Peter. Peter gets a vision who was a Jew who would not want to go hang out with a Gentile, and God delivers a couple things in his vision. One of them is uh, you need to go and be able to hang out with Gentiles, stop worrying about the law like that. Um, love people like I love people. But the second part of the vision is, hey, (laughs) now that I've delivered that news to you, there's this guy named Cornelius, and he's sending men to you, and when you find them, you need to go with him, and you need to go to his house, because I have something for him. So we pick up the in verse 23, and we read, the next day he, so he is Peter, He rose and went away with them, the guys that came to get him, to take him to Cornelius. And some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day, they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. So Peter comes in to the house. Or like, Cornelius goes out to meet him falls down at Peter's feet, is worshiping him, and Peter's like, whoa, 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 no, 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 it's not about me, it's about God, let's go inside, and there's all these people there. How cool is that? That's what he walks in on, a dinner party. Yeah, maybe it was brunch, I don't know, but there was a gathering of close friends and family that Cornelius had brought together, likely could have been days before because it takes a long time to travel by foot from Joppa to um, Caesarea. People were waiting. So Peter comes in, starts preaching the gospel, and the passage says that the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. So what is that? That is Cornelius's door being unlocked and opening, and that is him seeking after the things of God and being able to move from the category of liker into the category of follower and disciple, right? Starts that. Now, this this passage in this um, section of scripture, I think, traditionally gets used to talk about maybe Peter's experience or the broader Gentile's experience of of this, this story. But for Cornelius... It's huge. Yeah, his door was opened. That thing he was seeking after that he saw in others that he wanted for himself was open. So I have a couple um, applications or, or takeaways um, from, from Cornelius's side of the story for us this morning. So the first one is that Cornelius had to take action on where God was leading him. He had to follow through on the vision he was given, right? So um, 
Cornelius' vision wasn't, hey, just so you know, there's this guy named Peter. He's, he's, a, he's a Jew. He's over there, next city away. Give him a couple days. He's going to show up and knock on your door. Be ready. No, the vision was go send your men and get Peter and bring him to you. So he had to, he had to take action. And we see this in other tons of other places in Scripture, right? It's like um, the miraculous fish catching by the disciples. Like they had to throw their nets into the water. The fish didn't just appear. They had to do something, right? The parable of the talents, you have to invest the talent to get the return and to have favor. You have to take action. Uh, The second takeaway is that Cornelius brought other people along on the journey. So it could have been a bait and switch, right? He could have called all his friends together and said, hey, come on over, we're having hors d'oeuvres, and at the end of the party, I'm going to show you all how you can preserve them in your fridge for a week, and you can all buy Tupperware from me. So it could have been a Tupperware party. (laughs) Or, as we read in like the first couple verses of the chapter, he and his family feared God. So he was sharing his vision. He was sharing this, this locked door. I can only believe he was sharing his locked door with others in his realm, right? Um, so for us, when we're looking at these locked doors, it's involve your family, involve your spouse, involve your kids. You have a door that you need opened. You have a something that you know God has promised your family and you need to move forward in it, like pray with your kids, pray with your family over that locked door. Let your church family be part of it. Let your close friends be part of the locked door because when the door is opened, it's only gonna point to God opening it. And you're gonna bring people, we're gonna bring people along on um, along on that journey with us. So thank you for allowing me to speak this morning. <laughs> Pastor Steve, invite you up. Great job. Give a hand to the, all three of our speakers. Such a great job. And uh, we're going to invite the worship team. Do me a favor. Will you stand with me? We're going to sing one final song, but I want to um, kind of wrap up the messages And I want to challenge you with a thought. Um, It's pretty powerful to me when I look at the three people speaking on the platform. I've known them, some of them, for all their life, but others for a a large portion of their life. I've got a picture on my phone of Jordan from maybe 10-ish years ago. um, And he didn't start off on the platform. He was actually working with Paige Ackler, who is in charge of our mobility team. And he was setting up chairs in the church. And what's so cool about stepping into God's kingdom, no matter what level you're at, it's the idea that God has a future for me and there's things he wants to put in here, but there's also some things he wants to bring out of who I am. And I don't know if Jordan probably dreamt about a future speaking with great disdain, probably. Much like his wife, who's gonna be speaking before too long, (laughs) no matter if she shakes her head yes or no. because we always say yes to God, don't we? 
we want our kids to say yes to God, we say yes to God too. <laughs> Sorry, Caitlin's. Caitlin's like, oh, we're going we're to fight after church. Oh, well, I'm a, I got the microphone. I can get beat up later. You won't see that part, okay? Um, but it's beautiful to watch all three of these people share. And God, yeah. And, and not just, it's not, not filling space. How many of you, God spoke to you this morning? He spoke to you. Come on, let me see your hand. He spoke to you. God spoke to me powerfully. And it's a beautiful thing to dream about how God can use you. Some of you are newer in the church or, or you've been in, a, in the church in general a long time, but you're not involved with building the house. It's time for you to start dreaming about how God can use you because you were created to be used by God in the house that you attend, this house. God has a future for you. And that's how we look at you. We dream about the future of your life. And I know, right, maybe you feel like, well, I'm so screwed up, nobody's dreaming about my future. No, we especially are dreaming about your future. A future of health, a future of success, a future of effectiveness in the house of God. If you are dreaming about your future, while we sing this final song, worship team's gonna jump up here in just a second. I want you to make your way out of your seat. I want you to come up forward. We're gonna pray over you, especially if you're a young adult. Uh, maybe you're partway along your journey in that, you know, God used me, but you're dr still dreaming about the future. I, I'm gonna, I should jump down here because at my young age, I still got a lot of future ahead of me and I'm still dreaming about how God can use me. So if that's you, come on, make your way this way. Val, come on, pull up here. I, know, I see you. Is that what you're doing? Okay. Oh, you mean you're already involved, but you still dream about the future? God's got a great future for you. I don't say that because of your last name, although that's a bonus. I told Val, she has, if she ever gets married, she got to convince a guy to take her last name. That's right. You let him know who's bought. Well, submit, but also let him know who's bought. It's a great partnership. Do you know that, Kim, in the Bible, it also the men are charged to submit to their wives in Samarias? It's a mutual submission. It's a partnership. It's we both submit to God and we submit to one another to a degree. Man has to lead, but we both submit together to one another, amen? Pull, pull on in, come on, God's got a great future. Katie, are you up here? You new homeowner, high five me, get over here. I think we should start a dinner party at your house. How old are you? 26 years old and bought her first house by her own bad self. I am so proud of you. It is remarkable what you've done. That's an inspiration. Every young adult in this room who has been hearing, it's impossible to buy a house. You need to tell that voice to shut up and say, God has great things for my future and he'll make a way. Stop listening to all the enemy's report. Whose report will you believe? I will, re I will believe the report of the... Okay, there's three of you that know that Old Testament scripture. Okay, come on, worship team, you guys ready to sing? While you're up here, we're dreaming about that future. Understand it's going to take some steps to get there. You might have to stack some chairs to get there. You might have to begin to, you know, repent as we, we learned this morning for some things that have happened. You might need to just start being faithful. Somebody asked me last week when we had some other people on the platform said, hey, how do I, how do I become one of those people? I said, uh, show up two weeks in a row. It was applicable. Just being honest. Show up two weeks in a row. Show up three weeks in a row. Sign up for a team. And you know, you're not going to end up on the worship team first, first time out. No, <laughs> no, but sign up to serve. We've got all sorts of teams. And as you prove yourself faithful there, it'll open its doors to other places. Okay. Okay. We're going to pray and they're going to start singing. Father, I thank you. Raise your hands with me. Father, I thank you for those who are standing in this altar. 
Father, dreaming about a future, dreaming about what's ahead, what's next, God. God, I pray you'll stir their heart as you stirred Peter and Cornelius with visions and dreams about their future. Father, you've placed your hand heavily on some of these lives. God, you have placed your hand heavily in the past on some of these lives for great purpose. It's not just to demonstrate your power, but to show you a future of what's available. God, we believe you for what you have in the future. Father, we thank you for children brought up in godly homes who've watched godly parents who have great examples in family. God, that's not just you showing off for them, it's you stirring a dream within them. God, I pray that you will touch them and stir up what you have for them. Let them begin to dream about being used by you. Let them be woken up at night and inspired by images on the TV of, of people being used in great ways. Allow the stories in the Bible to stir up something deep within their hearts to dream about being used by you, God, because that is your heart for every person in this room. Father, we speak over the doubts. We push them back. We, uh, we agree with the report of the Lord for our future, Father. We're so thankful. We honor you in this house. Thank you for our speakers today, all of them who were involved. And Father, we ask you to put a blessing, God, in their life this week, uh, something super um, amazing, a testimony, uh, uh, an opportunity, an open door, God, because of their faithfulness to honor you. We love you, Lord. In this house, we love you. We love your word. And we love how you use your word to shape a better future for us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Everyone said amen and amen. Thanks for being with us today. Be sure to like and subscribe and visit us at c3swwa.com for more information about our church. 